right, hello, and this is Kaiju Transmissions. My name's Kyle Bird. With me is my co-host... Matt Parmley. And this is um, uh, our G-Fest episode. We thought uh, we would just kind of recap the highlights of the weekend for us. Um, there were some panels uh, and things that we did where we learned some, some cool information and some other things. Um, I'm going to get this out of the way because uh, it's a little bit of an elephant in the room just because uh, we did have a lot of people come up and talk to us at G-Fest. Um, we did do our interviews with the guests on Sunday uh, afternoon. We interviewed Michiro Oshima, um, Kiyotaka Taguchi, and Kazuhiro Nakagawa, uh, the good news is the interviews went really well, and all three of them were super um, nice, super uh, cool to talk to. And uh, for us, uh, Nakagawa and Taguchi, honestly, it just felt like we were just talking to other fans. You know, you could tell that this stuff's in their blood. The bad news is, uh, for a few reasons, um, those recordings didn't turn out very, very good. Um, there's a few factors into that. First of all, us and I think there were two other shows doing interviews. We were all crammed in the same small room with each of us in a different corner. So a lot of background noise and a lot of background chatter. And then also we were having some technical issues beforehand. Uh, one of the mics wasn't picking up and, um, honestly, I, I think we should take the blame for uh most of this because i think i honestly i think if, yeah it, it's it's our fault <laughs> yeah if if matt and i weren't i think we were really just anxious to get going and we were wor worried about holding people up and i think if we took a little more time to troubleshoot or maybe test out different setups um we would have been fine and then yesterday matt sends me a message that was like Dude, if I, I think I found a setting where, like, if I had just checked that off, this would have been fine. So, I don't know. Well, mistakes happen, and, I mean, we're, we're disappointed. And, I don't know, we're, we're, we, we're getting the audio files over to a friend of ours um, to see if he can maybe make them salvageable at all. Uh, but we don't know. So, um, if, the, if we do get them at least passable enough to put out as audio um we apologize in advance because even the best is still gonna be pretty low quality uh but if any it, if that doesn't work i think um we're gonna try and transcribe the interviews and uh put them up so people can at least read them because they were good interviews it's just uh we we dropped the ball and um yeah but I don't know. Hopefully, we'll get these interviews out in either letter or audio format uh, eventually. Um, we don't know. Maybe a few weeks to a month, and and we might be able to scrape something together to put up. But um, keep your eyes out for that. And uh, yeah, Matt, anything you want to say about the the awfulness of how those <laughs> interviews turned out? Uh, first, it was awesome to be able to interview. And then second, I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, th these were the same anger of audio. Uh, sorry, Tom. I, you know, if you're if you're a Metallica fan, like it, it's just. It, I mean, you can understand terrible. what people are saying on Saint Anger. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's so bad. Um, like it, the the background noise is very difficult to eliminate when you. It's like we would change one setting in the, in the like post-production and like it would ruin something else. So we, Bird and I spent uh, like two hours just kind of tweaking some things uh, Sunday night. Yeah, and, and, and Matt, after, like we got nowhere. <laughs> and Matt, after you left my uh, my hotel room, I stayed up for like another hour even. And then I was just like, it's 3 a.m. I need to drive home and there's other stuff I want to do tomorrow. I'm going to bed. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. In, in some way, we'll, we'll get those out. Like I said, at least maybe post them up as like uh files that you guys can read or something because I, I i don't want to lose them completely so we'll figure something out yeah we'll, we'll we'll make it so like you at least get the information it just may not be in the the way that <laughs> that we wanted to well, that we wanted yeah. to present it um all right well anyway so i mean 
uh, I, I don't want this to turn into a, you know, an audio equivalent of, you know, sharing your vacation photos or anything, but Are just over, sure? over, <laughs> overall, um, well, Matt, I mean, this was my like 13th or 14th G Fest, so I'm, I don't really have much new to say, but, I, but as a first timer, I mean, just in general, how would you say that the experience was and, and com- especially compared to maybe your expectations? I mean, the the biggest thing is uh, everybody was nice, and like you, you meet people that you interacted with on Facebook for, I mean, for me for years, and a lot of times, um, I think probably people go into G Fest and thinking like, oh, this person might behave in this way, and like the way that people behave is everybody was just pretty much nice. Like, um, for me anyway, meeting the people that I've interacted with in Facebook groups and Godzilla groups was really cool. You learn a ton of new stuff on panels. Um, that that to me is the coolest thing, at least, is like the the panels and getting some new information about about movies and like anime and manga and stuff and their the the kaiju influence there, and then some of the stuff that Gucci Gucci's panel was great. Um, all the different panels and information you take in. That's what I go to G Fest for, and then of course you have the dealers room, which is just insane. Like I can't, it, I'm fairly new to collecting. I've only been doing it for probably less than four years. Um, I can't really put into words how massive the amount of toys that you see there are, and like I spent probably like ten hours in that room over the course of three days. What and, and like there's just there's not there's there's so much there to see, and there's not enough money to go around. So. Um, it was a lot of fun. I got to hang out with people after the, you know, at the convention every night. You go on the patio and people are just, you know, drinking and talking and having a good time. And um, I think the coolest thing is the camaraderie that people share talking about the movies, but then just, you know, sharing different stories. And like I, I learned a lot this weekend, a bunch of stuff that I'm sure will come up on future episodes, whether it's Shin Godzilla or some of the stuff that we have planned for future Fukube episodes or, um, and, and then to meet, and make new connections with people and the, the amount of guests that we can now have on the show just by being able to say, Hey, we do a podcast and we would really like to have you on the show because you're an expert in this particular field. Um, the, the sure Honda Panda was awesome. Like, the, like the, those things were just kind of a really awesome experience for me in general. Okay. Well, I, I mean, how, how did it live up to what you were expecting? I mean, like it, it was pretty much, I think what I expected, honestly, like it, 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 it lived up to expectations. It was a lot of fun and I spent way too much money. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. Okay. Uh, well, just to kind of go through some of the highlights, um, uh, because I don't know if or when some of this stuff is going to be put on YouTube or, or whatever. Um, uh, the Mysterians panel with Ed and Steve was good. I don't really want to talk about it, but uh, there was some good info in there that we can pull for uh, a future episode since we haven't done that. Um, uh, and also, one of the one of the things that uh, I know you liked that came out of that Mysterians panel was part of the Q and A uh, when someone asked Ed and Steve about Shin Godzilla. Uh, Matt, <laughs> do you want to describe what what that madness was like? Uh, yeah, so somebody asked what uh, Ed and Steve thought about Shin Godzilla and uh, Ed like shellacted and it was he called it pretentious and uh, that, that was my favorite use of pretentious I think ever for like a panel because <laughs> he, he just you know he, he talked about it being nationalistic and um, I, he said all the things that we talked about in our, our on our Shin Godzilla review which you know I don't know it it, it was interesting to hear somebody that is uh obviously far better known than we are <laughs> say basically the same kind of stuff and somebody who knows a lot more about the the genre and obviously they're coming out with their, their um Ishiro Honda book and you know he I don't know uh totally unsolicited and unrelated to their panel so like it was kind of a weird question to ask I thought I don't know why that guy even asked that question but uh yeah I don't know it was it was it was a great answer I mean Ed you could tell he was kind of even holding back a little bit. At least I thought he was. To what? I mean, obviously Higuchi's there at G Fest, and so I'm sure that Ed wasn't like, 
purposely seeking out to say bad things about the film, but he was asked pretty directly and he gave a fairly direct response. Um, what do you think about it? Uh, well, well, Steve, I think was a little more concerned, like maybe Higuchi was there (laughs) and you know, he, he kind of tiptoed around it. He was pretty much saying, well, I like they did something new, but I don't think it's something I would watch again. And then Ed just kind of tore into it. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think the things that he said were fair. Um, he called it nationalistic, and he called it propaganda. The the thing that was the most... I, I, you could tell that the movie troubled them. And um, uh, Ed, in particular, said that he thinks Mr. Honda would have been very disturbed um, by Shin Godzilla, uh, and, and he yeah. said, you know, I don't, he even said, I don't know if my distaste for it is mostly because I've been so close to Honda's work over the last few wor- years working on this book, but he said, you know, he really didn't think that it was the kind of message that Honda's movies or the, a lot of the classic Toho, um, movies, uh, he, he kind of felt like it was in a way something that kind of, went against the, I guess, the themes presented in those films. Yeah, that's kind of why I brought up the book, too. I think you did a better job explaining it than I did, is because, obviously, they're so close to the family and, and whatnot. I think that's also probably why I have such a difficulty with Shin Godzilla, is because it feels so different from what Honda envisioned with the character and, and kind of what I envisioned for the character. And so... Well, well, Honda thought Godzilla versus King Ghidorah uh, went too far, and and that that movie bothered him. So I, I can't imagine what he would have thought of this. Yeah, I, exactly. Um, I, I will say too, Steve. Um, uh, he Steve wrote a, an article about uh, Godzilla twenty fourteen, and he he brought that up too in response, and he kind of said, you know. The, the article is pretty well known now. It's talk. It, it's like the whitewashing of Godzilla, and he, it was his review of the 2014 film. Please well, do. He said that with the 2014 <laughs> movie, the thing that bothered him was that it tried to have it both ways in being anti-nuke, but then also in the third act, uh, nuclear weapons are are used more as a, a plot device, and so he he felt like it was trying to have it both ways and treating the subject seriously and treating it lightly at the same time, is what he I mean, said. A, and, and that's a fair criticism of, of the film, I think. Um, I don't know if I could still say it was whitewashing, but I think... But but in him saying that, I feel like he was sort of like, hey, making sure he gave a, an answer that was, you know, as, as diplomatic as he could have been. And, you know, I don't know. I, I appreciated the fact that they weren't going out of their way to bash the film and be respectful of the people that were in the audience at the same point, like... When someone puts you on the spot and asks you for basically a "Do you like this?" then they get they got the answer they wanted, you know. Yeah. Like, what else do you want from them? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it, it it seems like even the people that like the movie are, you know, they they realize what it is that you know there it is you know as a nationalistic point of view and. A, prop, a, a point of view that's very, you know, like, propaganda. Like, we were talking to Jeff Horn, who liked the movie, and he was just like, yeah, of course I see it. Like, how could you not see it, you know? So, um, I don't know. I, I think it's time for fans of the movie to just kind of like it for what it is and stop trying to make it into something it's not. That's what I take away from everything. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think my my biggest because it's, that, okay. That's my it's, biggest it's okay to like a movie like, like I mean a movie that we both enjoy is uh, Shinji Higuchi's Lorelei, which is, is has a lot of the same things in common with Shin Godzilla. It's just a better movie. Exactly, uh, and that's the thing. Like, I, there's a lot of fans who like almost go out of their way to defend the nationalism present in the film without like calling it nationalism. That's what makes me mad. I think. I mean, and, if, like, if, I don't... You, if you love the movie, I mean. Love it for what it is, you know, and be okay with that. Like, you should be okay with that, you know. I do think uh, uh, it's worth mentioning that we did not see Oshima's panel, as that's when we did ours. Um, Now, uh, uh, I'll take a minute here to talk about a panel I went to, which you weren't 
at, and that is the Yuji Kaida panel. He is the um, the poster artist, and he paints a lot for a lot of kits and different books, and he's worked with everything from Godzilla to Transformers to Evangelion to Gundam to who, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, really, uh, the only stuff I really want to say about that panel, uh, well, it was nice, it was cool to see him being interviewed by Bob Eggleton, um, because those are, like, as far as Godzilla artists go, like, uh, kind of the best on each side of the Pacific, um, but uh, he uh, he was. I I just wanted to talk about how much how proud he is of that Skull Island poster that he did, um, which I think is probably the best Skull Island poster. Uh, but he was very proud of it, and um, he was kind of bragging that the director said it was like his favorite poster for the movie, and wanted to hang it in, on his wall and. Uh, um, yeah, so I don't know. It, it, it's always nice to see someone like that excited about their their work. Um, I guess the big thing that we have a lot to talk about um, as far as the Saturday panels go is probably Shinji Higuchi's panel, Matt. And um, well, first of all, Higuchi is always awesome. He's this is not the first time he's been at G Fest. Um, I was there a few years ago when he was there, and he was. He was one of my favorite guests they've had, and he's a lot of fun, and you can tell he's just kind of a big kid like we are. Like, I mean, I saw him in the dealer's room buying all kinds of stuff, T-shirts, toys, and... Um, but uh, I, I, I would say, and Matt, I, I think you agree with me, this panel was only an hour, and for someone who's as much of a legend as Higuchi, who's done so many different things... I really think that he needed at least two hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, and and the way his panel worked was pretty much like his first job in the Tokusatsu, which was Godzilla '84, and then they pretty much jumped straight to Shin Godzilla. So, I mean, people know he was a huge part of the Gamera trilogy and the effects for those. He was a huge part of Evangelion and the art direction and writing for that show. Uh, all the all the anime work he did, um, you know, his directorial movies like Lorelei, Sinking of Japan, all that was skipped to go straight to Shin Godzilla, and um, uh, pr- maybe for good reason because you could tell he had a lot to say, and we probably got maybe I don't even know, Matt. Do you even think we got through half of what he had prepared for us? Nah, we we didn't. We got to like probably. We got through all of his Godzilla 84 stuff, and then we got maybe like a fourth of his Shin Godzilla stuff because he was he, he like just got to like some of the making of slides and pictures and like some of the videos and stuff, and he was he was talking about like the timeline Soho had put on him, and it was it was really interesting, honestly. Yeah. Um, so Matt, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that we learned <clears throat> uh, during Higuchi's panel. Uh, it was interesting uh, to me to hear um, kind of how Toho have their contract with Legendary and that the 2014 movie came out and then there was a, uh, enough space between that and the planned sequel that they were able to do uh, their own Godzilla movie. But apparently um, they're... The the Japanese and American productions need a certain amount of space between each other. Um, so uh, because of that, and because we're getting Godzilla 2 and then almost immediately Godzilla vs. Kong, Toho can't actually do another live-action Godzilla movie until 2020. Now, I don't know if maybe they kind of got around that in doing the this uh, Monster Planet trilogy as an animated film. Uh, or what, but um, it's really interesting, and I, and it's funny because uh, now, now that that that's out there, you know, I, I shared in one of our message threads like there was like a clickbaity headline that Shin Godzilla two can't happen until after twenty twenty, but no one said anything about a Shin Godzilla two. They just said another, <laughs> you know, another yeah. uh, another Toho movie, um, because I guess uh, I guess Anno and them were writing Shin Godzilla while Toho were wrapping up the Attack on Titan movies. Then they were going to carry that over uh, a lot of those people over into Shin Godzilla, 
and they had to do it within a certain amount of time. Um, so it, it was like two years from conception to release, but a lot of that was spent in pre-production, so they actually had much less time, so it was closer to like uh, like a year or maybe a little less. Um, and... Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, like now everyone's like, I saw a few comment sections, like people are mad that Legendary has this deal with Toho, and they're like, why would they do that, <laughs> blah, 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 and it's like, doesn't that kind of make sense, at least from a marketing perspective, because otherwise you're going to start confusing your audience, and I don't know, I think it makes sense to do that. I mean, Toho's making their money regardless, that's that's what they're, they're, they care about. And the fact that people make are mad about something like that, they're they're stupid. <laughs> That's just dumb. Well, it makes uh, sense because you you don't want to compete with yourself. Well, yeah, of course. Um, plus, I mean, to still make. I mean, they still have the anime coming out, which is a new format for all of us to see. And by all accounts, I mean the stuff that we know from some of the behind the scenes things. It sounds like this is a return to a very sci-fi based. Um, story and, and hopefully it's good. Um, it also gives Toho a way to kind of get it on a live action thing. We think so, like, and we're gonna get to see it, you know, right on Netflix. So I mean, it'll, it'll be kind of it's a, a trilogy, cool also. <laughs> like, let's yeah, not no, it's that. Not. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, its own series altogether. I, we know that you know Higuchi remarked that Toho was pretty difficult to work with, and at one point he mentioned like the, there was something wrong with the timeline where like they essentially lost two months. They were promised to be given like till December, but then they realized it had to be like October because of a certain like had to hit a certain date to give the the film to Toho. So they lost some time there. I mean, it's the Toho is very strict with timelines. We knew that. Um, but just to hear him talk about it was kind of interesting. I think the most interesting fact I personally learned was that Rick Baker was apparently visited the Toho set of Godzilla 1984. And like Higuchi had a picture with him on set with the Cybot, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, if you don't know who Rick Baker is, I'm Learn. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm yeah, sorry. he, he said like, uh, they were like super like starstruck when Rick Baker came out and, uh, uh, and visited the the set. So, um, well, let's talk a little bit about what else we learned about Shin Godzilla, which was, uh, I think, probably quite a bit. Um, so, uh, Matt, you want to... What were some of your takeaways on the making of Shin Godzilla? Well, they wanted, like, all the... All, if you've seen the making of Shin Godzilla book, a lot of the conception art in there was are truly rejected toho designs they they went to toho and they said initially we want to take the original godzilla from 54 and we want to basically continue with that godzilla and make him evolve and toho rejected that idea um so then they said well what if we just start from the beginning and do our own godzilla and then have him kind of evolve throughout throughout the film they said okay well that's fine well then you have the idea of like godzilla having multiple heads and Godzilla, you know, Godzilla having like five necks growing out of his necks and stuff. See those designs in the, in the Art of Shin Godzilla book? Those are all actual designs they wanted to use for the film that Soho thankfully rejected because I think those were stupid myself. But Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the, the idea was that he would start the movie as God, the Godzilla we know and then mutate into other things. And that and so, yeah, you had designs where he's got like a, a bunch of heads and all kinds of limbs growing out of them. And Toho were just kind of like, what the hell is this? And um, and then they, they kind of figured out a way to do it in reverse where something else would grow into Godzilla. Um I don't really, and he, you know, he never really said why they wanted to change Godzilla so much, but it's very strange that they wanted to change him so much because I don't. I mean, I understand the idea that you want to do something different, but I don't know if that's really the kind of different, like that's mer verging onto the kind of different that we got in 1998, and I'm I'm just. I'm glad Toho kept like rejecting those. Toho basically rejected everything that they gave to them until they came up with a Godzilla that resembled Godzilla, pretty much. Yeah, it it just it kind of supports like what I've said all along. Like I don't, 
I don't feel like Shin Godzilla is Godzilla, and it seems like to- or like Ano's original idea is like they don't they don't seem very Godzilla esque to me. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later. We have some other things planned for Shin Godzilla, but it's just kind of a bizarre thing. And it's also so weird to me that like because it's Anno and because of the um, the cachet that his name carries with Evangelion, and people are such big fans of his. Like they're people are just willing to accept anything that I does and. To me, like fans would have been all over that design of Godzilla, even though something like Godzilla fourteen gets crapped on. And- well, I think it's more it's Toho dedicated. Like the, this fan base doesn't give a shit about Anno. I think it's Toho dedicated. It's Toho loyalty more than anything. But either way, like it's just such a bizarre thing to me to see like people people want it. We 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 saw this on the forums all the time. People like man, go crazy with this design. Do all these different things. Give Godzilla wings and. We're like, uh, no. <laughs> like, to me, that's not, that's sort of betraying what the monster is. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, but to hear Higuchi, like, show some concepts. And we also learned there was a, uh, um, evidently there was a first form prop. Like, a, they made a, a prop that, that wasn't shown. Um, and Toho, for whatever reason, decided not to use it. So the tail scene where you see the tail just come up from the water. There was a prop that was also supposed to be used for that particular scene, but they Toho canned it. We didn't learn why, but Higuchi did talk about that in the panel. Well, Toho really seemed to push for more CGI. Is uh, it, like one of his slides said, "All practical effects replaced by CG." Uh, yeah, Doctor Gawa said, like flat out, there, everything was CG. Basically, there there were no. The, the puppet that we everybody talked about never appears in the movie. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Um, yeah, so th- those are some things we can clear up right here. Is, um, well, first of all, I, I don't think Higuchi sounded very happy about it. Uh, and, yeah, a lot of, uh, yeah, it sounds like everything was replaced by CG. Um, when we did ask Nakagawa, the the assistant director that we interviewed, and again, hopefully you'll be able to see this interview in word or audio format at some point. But he said that puppet, uh, the one that there were all those rumors that it didn't work right and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that it didn't work right. What happened was they were developing the CG at the same time, and the puppet came out looking a lot different from how the CG models that they already had in the can looked. And Anno didn't like that, so then they scrapped the, the, the prop. So um, it, it, it was a, more a case of that it didn't match the CG effects than anything. Um, personally, I would have still preferred the, to see it because even, I mean, even in some of my favorite Godzilla movies, you know, there's, always, there's like a puppet head that doesn't look like the suit and whatnot. But, I mean, I, I get that you want consistency, especially in today's day and age. I think those things, I, think, I don't think audiences are as forgiving. But, um, I don't know, I still would have preferred that even if it didn't look the same yeah and i guess probably um oh the the other thing that we learned uh, that was interesting that we did ask nakagawa and this is kind of related to this to the higuchi panel because i'm sure it would have come up if they gave him a q a q and a uh the creatures coming out the humanoid creatures coming out of the tail we asked him like what the hell were those things and he, he basically said only anno knows and that's exactly the answer we've sort of been saying all along like he, Anno is the only guy that knows what those things were and what their the purposes are, and it's Anno being a surrealist. And I think Bird, you've honestly probably said that from from the get go. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't think I, I I mean, if the assistant director doesn't know, then I mean, I I don't know. I don't. I think all these like think pieces and this is what it means. Like that, those pe- there's people that think they know what it means and they don't know what it means. <laughs> so. Um, that's that's definitely something to take away here, um, and uh, I guess um, let's see. There had there was more in the, that Higuchi panel that I'm kind of trying to recall here. Um, Matt, is there anything else that you're that you can think of here? You get all the stuff that I thought was. What I'm remembering offhand, we got, you know, um, I will say Higuchi came incredibly prepared. Like, he had slides for everything with words. 
um, the pictures that he had were like of him, like he did talk, in, in his Godzilla eighty four thing. He was talking about how like uh, he was responsible initially for like taking Godzilla's tail off screens and throwing it against the buildings. And I guess the one of the direct the assistant directors got pissed at him because he did it incorrectly in one of the scenes, which is pretty funny to hear him tell the story. And if you ever met Higuchi, like. He has such a funny demeanor about him. Like when he was signing my um, my X Plus Gamer, I had him sign the tail, and he was like, "You oh, he was like, you want me to sign his tail?" And then he was pointing to his penis, like he was making a dick joke. And it was, it was, it was just really funny. He's got these really hilarious uh, mannerisms to him, and he's such a like a a neat and, and just interesting guy to meet, and, and very like, I don't know, he, he's very engaging, and his his uh, presentation was honestly excellent. Uh, it is I, I, it is worth mentioning that uh, the first thing he did was uh, he bragged about how no military are killed in the movie. So make of that what you will. Another thing that he talked about was um, why he liked doing a CGI Godzilla, and that's the tail. The the he said the the only reason the tail is the way it looks is because. With CGI, you could make the tail that big, and oh, um, that's right. Yeah, I do, I do remember yeah, saying and, that. Yeah, and that's pretty much. So pretty much CGI is the only reason Godzilla's tail is as big as it is. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's <laughs> kind of dumb, I guess. But whatever. I mean, I get like with CGI, you don't have to worry about like controlling the tail with wires and worrying about it hit stuff. But I, I don't know. It sounds like he was just. Because, like I said uh, earlier, he was disappointed, it seemed, that a lot of the practical stuff came out. But uh, he did say that he loves CGI. And, um, you know, he and since he, he wouldn't be able to pick one over the other, he, that's why he always wants to incorporate both. Which I think is a good way to do it, as long as you have the money for good CG. Um, but, uh, I don't know, it, yeah, it, it, there was kind of a butting of heads a lot between Toho regarding the CGI and the practical. Um, another note that uh, I have here is um, they did a lot of miniature work, and again, most of that is completely gone. Um, most notably, in the when the baby Godzilla first attacks. Uh, the other thing I have taken down here is the destruction scenes were actually uh, influenced by Man of Steel, uh, the Zack Snyder Superman movie from a few years ago, um, which kind of I can kind of see, especially I can like see that, especially the end of the movie. Yeah, and and in Man of Steel, aren't there parts where like they're using their heat vision and it kind of like slices <laughs> through buildings and stuff? Yes. So yes, yeah. So I can definitely kind of see how that would um, kind of inspire the way that the destruction scenes are in here, um, and uh, so. I don't know. Yeah, Higuchi, he didn't have time for a Q&A. Um, he didn't have time to even finish his presentation. But that's really the stuff that we um, we we were able to pull out of it. Um, th that's probably the best bits of it, I think. Um, so, uh, moving onward, I guess. Matt, was there anything that you wanted to add about um, Higuchi? Um, I don't remember if it was his panel or, or uh, Taguchi's panel, but they talked about like them painting the wire to like match the matte background, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like. I mean, I'm sure that's probably common knowledge for most people, but like for me, I didn't realize that was what they actually did because they had the that was the best way they could hide the wire um, besides going in after the fact and like erasing it in post production. So. I thought that was just like an interesting thing to yeah. think about. Hey, I think that was that, I think that was during the Godzilla '84 talk yeah i thought that was pretty pretty cool like an interesting tidbit i hadn't really thought about um and then we move on to saturday night where we went to the music box theater in downtown chicago for a rare 70 millimeter uh screening of kong skull island yes that was screened in a nice big beautiful 70 millimeter film print um aside from seeing hateful eight i think last year Maybe the year before. I think it was the year before. Uh, I that's I haven't seen a film in a long time, and uh, I love seeing movies on film. I think it's kind of how they should look. I love the grain, the little 
uh, cracks and scratches on film prints. Um, and there was a Q&A uh, with the director, Jordan Vogt-Roberts, um, who, first of all, Matt and I both got to meet uh, before the screening, and he was, uh, he was really cool. Um, uh, we gave him a Kaiju Transmissions card, so hopefully he is listening, <laughs> but uh, if he's anything like me, when people hand me things, I just throw them out. So. <laughs> I'm sure that's what he did immediately after the show, actually. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Um, but, uh, um, Matt, well, first of all, what did you think about seeing the movie in this 70-millimeter print? Dude, the, the, the pristine print of that film, like, it looked glorious. Like, I, I don't... It makes me miss going to the theater and seeing, like, real films being shown and projected on screen instead of, like, the stupid digital stuff we have most of, like... Didn't it make all, you, didn't you know. it make you feel a little nostalgic? Of course. I mean, like, it's... <laughs> and, and not only that, but just, like, it looked fantastic. Um, plus, like, this, this entire... The Music Box Theater is... It's just, like... It had this, like, weird old smell to like the whole theater and it's like uh i don't know it was just a really cool experience in general um so like sitting there and then had the q a session like it was a really awesome time yeah um and uh uh the the blu-ray came out now uh i think it's been out for a day or something mine came in from amazon uh, but so I, so some of this, maybe he repeats in the commentary or something, but, um, his Q and a actually gave us a lot of, um, a lot of really neat information. I think, um, I took some notes down, um, and, uh, Matt, he has something in common with you. Someone asked him what was his favorite creature on Skull Island outside of Kong. And, um, he said, aside from maybe the skull crawler, one that he really loves is the, uh, the, the the water buffalo yeah man water buffalo freaking awesome and um he said that that buffalo kind of represents um he what he called he he said skull island the movie uh has some pacifist themes in it and the water buffalo is kind of a uh uh, a a visual and manifestation of of that on the film and you definitely can see there's uh pacifist themes in there i mean look at john c Riley and the the japanese soldier that he crashes with and um i guess the uh the uh the lifestyle of the skull island natives um so that's nice and of course um me being a, a shiro honda guy i i love a good deal of pacifism in my in my kaiju um, someone asked him about the, the creatures on Skull Island, and, uh, he pretty much said, like, aside from Kong, any of the creatures, their names or anything like that was pretty much just drummed up by the marketing department in the studio. Like, you, you go on Toho Kingdom and you see, like, the octopus is called the, the Meyer Squid, and it has, like, burning hot ink, and it's, like... I don't know. That's all. That's pretty much all bullshit. Um, he said, as far as he's concerned, none of the creatures even have names. Not even the skull crawlers because they haven't been seen before. And the the John C. Riley scene where he called them skull crawlers, and they're like, "Why do you call them that?" Um, the in the script, the the joke, I think it probably played a little better because the joke was um he called them macarthurs is in is in general macarthur is in they can't ever be uh back is that they never back down they can never be uh you know scared away um and that was the joke in the script but then they were like no we have to call them something and then that's when they were called skull crawlers and so the joke is still there but it's got a completely different meaning i actually think the macarthur joke makes more sense especially when he's like I never, I never said it out loud. It sounds dumb when I say it. Like <laughs> that, that all comes from the, it being this joke about General MacArthur. Um, well, he also said like the reason he thought MacArthur was was cool is because he thinks it's funny when people name their pets like human names, basically. <laughs> yeah, like if, if there's a dog <laughs> named like like Tom or something. Like he he said that that's always just a weird and thing people do, and he thought it was funny. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing that he, he 
also talked about was um, uh, being one of the many directors in this trend now where they hire in these little indie directors who made this critically acclaimed indie film. His was Kings of Summer, and they hire them to make these giant blockbusters. Um, and he said, you know, just being able to navigate that, um, he he knows of situations where it works really well and ones where it doesn't. He said, luckily, Legendary was very collaborative and he didn't have too much trouble, but he said, you know, if you're on a project where the studio is stepping on you and you are outnumbered by them and you wind up with a a movie that isn't very good, um, you're kind of just, like, blacklisted from ever doing another movie like that. Uh, The director he mentioned is being an example of that was Josh Trank, who yep. started with Chronicle, um, and then he went into that Fantastic Four, the last Fantastic Four, which was a complete disaster. And he was supposed to be doing one of the Star Wars films, but he got removed from that. And um, he he said uh, he feels like Josh Trank has kind of been um, unnecessarily and undeservedly tarred and feathered by Hollywood. Um and, uh, you know, he said that those are conversations that he's had many times. And so um, it sounds like he knows uh, the industry he's in. Um, uh, <clears throat> Matt, uh, do you remember what he said about um, hanging out with Gareth Edwards in Vietnam and when they were talking about uh, how, they, how to convince the studios to do things that they think just look cool? Um, oh man, he t- he told a story, but I'm like blanking on what the story was when he went in there. <laughs> well, he was he was pretty much talking about how, you know, fans of any any genre or series are like, why is that like that? When and like the the real answer is like, oh, we thought it looked cool. Um, and he he was saying like to to get away with those sh- kinds of shots and those kinds of ideas, you kind of have to. Not necessarily lie to the 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 studio heads because he said they always want a reason for something. Like they want you to be able to explain everything. So like the skull crawlers, like they were giving them kind of a hard time in the early process when they were like, "What? Why? Why do their heads look like skulls? Like why?" <laughs> and he he said like you kind of just have to wing it and come up with an answer. Like he's like the real answer is because he likes the way it looks, but. He kind of you, you they, he has to tell them like, well, they're underground and they might dig through these like these hot pockets and their faces would get burnt off and they're like, Oh, okay. Okay. But like the truth is he just thought it looked cool. Um, (laughs) and he was talking about hanging out with Gareth Edwards in Vietnam. Well, uh, and, uh, he said, uh, you know, he, (laughs) he had kind of a similar thing with rogue one where at the very beginning when Krennic is walking uh, to um, Jyn Erso and her family's farm or whatever, he's like, he parks way in the back. And they're like, well, why would he park back there? And, you know, Gareth just thought it made a cool shot, but he had to tell the people at Lucasfilm, like, well, by him parking so far away, he's telling them, like, I'm safe. Like, he doesn't want to, like, 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 like <laughs> ambush them. Like, you, and, like, you just kind of have to BS people. Um and then the last thing uh, I want to talk about from his Q and A that I have, because uh, I have no, I, I took some notes, was uh, he talked about how he deliberately wanted Skull Island to have um, a colorful look, um, a distinctive color palette, and he was talking about how much he loves directors like Tony Scott, the late Tony Scott, who, you know, his movies were very distinctive in how he used colors. And he said, you know, as as much as he loves the Marvel movies, they all look the same. And he's not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) And so he kind of wanted to have a a a color palette um, in place that would make this movie memorable. Um, And then the last thing I have, uh, this wasn't from the Q and A. This was actually from when I was talking to him in the theater lobby. uh, I guess I guess there were last minute talks of him maybe going to G Fest, but 
he, uh, you know, he wanted, he had some accommodations that just, since I guess he, he, he only had four minutes of free, or four minutes, oh my god, four hours <laughs> of free time that day, um, you know, the, you know, they just kind of felt like, eh. But um, when I told him I was at G-Fest, he was saying, uh, he was like, oh, did Higuchi make it there? I guess he had heard that Higuchi was having some scheduling conflicts, which I guess he was because he had to leave early on Sunday, which wasn't planned. Um, but he was saying that uh, a few months ago he was having dinner with Higuchi. And, um, you know, uh, Higuchi was a big part of Evangelion. And uh, Roberts was asking him... Uh, you know, about the impact that that show had. And he was like, well, what'd you think about Pacific Rim? And uh, uh, Higuchi was like saying that he walked out of the theater kind of, uh, (laughs) kind of upset in a way because he had felt like uh, Pacific Rim took a lot of the ideas that he had done in (laughs) Evangelion. Um, and uh and and Roberts was like, Yes, I, I can't believe like no one else has been like picking that up. He's like, I'm so glad and he was like, It's so good to hear like the creator of something I love say that he like recognized the same thing in Pacific Rim that I did. And uh I mean opinions are opinions. Uh <laughs> I, I can see the Eva parallels, um especially when it comes to syncing with the robot and how, you know, it digs into your memory and your psyche. Um but I don't know. I, it, it, I, I, Higuchi is like that, though. Like, I, I remember when uh, Cloverfield came out, uh, he was asked, what did you think of Cloverfield? And he said, I didn't like it because that's the Godzilla movie I always wanted to make. So Higuchi's just kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do remember him talking about, uh, in, the, in the Q&A, um, he said that Kong's movements are actually patterned more after mechs than a monkey. So like basically any like mech anime you've ever watched, that's kind of how when Kong like and if you think about a Kong walks like up with his back kind of upright and his shoulders thrown back like that's very much like a, a mech. Yeah, um, which, it, I, which it, I thought was pretty it, interesting. Yeah, especially because fans because uh, he, he said he kind of wanted to, to bring it back a little bit to being a little more upright like 33. But he also like it's more a mix of how the 33 kong moves and how the big anime mechs move and i can totally see it now like yeah i definitely do now and Um, and for all the fans saying like well this kong's more like he's meant to move more like a sasquatch to hear like he's actually meant to move like a giant robot (laughs) you know (laughs) and and it's totally true like he has that swagger that you would see on like gypsy danger or like oh yeah or one of the eva units or one of the gundams like he he has a like the way his shoulders move they're they're very um i guess i guess stiff in a way that a mech would be i definitely see a lot in his arms like just the way he kind of like walks with his arms back yeah. and forth like in, almost in slow-mo but um also somebody asked him about the the nixon bobblehead and he says well it does two th- it does three things it, it in the movie it tracks kind of the rise and fall of nixon um, but it also is a stand-in for Trump, which, you know, duh. Um, but then it also the, – the visual thing that it does is it ties the viewer to one helicopter kind of throughout like the takeoff and then, of course, the crashing and going down and stuff, which I thought was really interesting. That was like an interesting shot to tie everybody to the, to the same helicopter. Um, but I thought the, the Trump comment was pretty funny because he was talking in the, um, in the Q&A too. Like they basically got – one joke, which was at the very beginning of, of being able to take a shot at Trump because they couldn't overdo it and he knew it. So then being able to do the Nixon thing was another way to kind of take, throw some uh, subtle, uh, subtle jo- uh, jabs at Trump, which, I mean, hey, I don't blame him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I thought that was actually pretty interesting. Plus, it's a really awesome visual um, when, when, the, when that particular uh, helicopter goes down. Yeah. Oh, another great bit was um... – uh, one of my favorite scenes is when he fights the giant octopus and then eats it. Because not only is it, uh, in a way, a, a redo of the scene I love from the 62 King Kong vs. Godzilla, but um, he said it, the, when Kong eats the, the, the octopus, that's an idea that came from the movie Old Boy, amazing Korean it's an uh, awesome movie film. Yeah. Uh, and he said that um, he, he watched that movie with Chan-Wook Park, the director, and um, 
he told him like, "Hey, that that movie that 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 scene was inspired by your movie, and it was like one of the most expensive." And he's like that part where he's like slurping up the tentacles. He's like, "That's like the most expensive shot in the movie." And uh, <laughs> and and Chan Wook Park asked him like, "How much money did you spend?" <laughs> just to reference my movie and Roberts was just like it was a lot you know it was a lot of money yeah that, that was uh <laughs> think about like why would you do that but <laughs> um no I mean it was a really good uh, Q&A session he was really approachable I mean he was he was signing stuff for people like right outside the theater and and it was a cool experience I mean like it it and it um, it gave people the chance to ask some cool questions and like Q and a session with like a big audience like that. You really never know what you're going to get. And, um, I, it was a, a lot of fun to go to that, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess, yeah, no, that, that was probably like, that was like the big event for me of, of the G fest weekend was, was that, uh, that screening. Um, so, uh, I guess now to go to Sunday, um, that's when we had our disastrous interviews, but really the only thing that, uh, that we did that I think we learned about and that we could talk about a little bit is, um, Kiyotaka Taguchi's panel, um, where, uh, in, instead of being more of a Q and A format, there was a little bit of that, but he really just wanted to showcase some of his work that, he didn't feel like was seen very much outside of Japan. Um, so the first thing he did, uh, he showed us, uh, I guess, an episode of Ultraman X uh, the, is one that he was especially proud of, and it is the Gomez versus Cyber Gamora episode. Um, it's the only episode of the show... Well, I've seen a couple, but um, uh, it's the only episode of the show that I've uh, I've watched and said, like, wow, that was a great episode. Um, Matt, do you recall this episode? Because uh, you weren't in the panel at the time, uh, but I know that you just watched the whole series. Yeah, that's that's a really good episode, uh, the, the Gomez episode. And, I mean, I, I actually like Ultraman X quite a bit. My son loves it, actually. I showed him – he watched um, about half the series with me, and it's, it's good. I think during our interview with Taguchi, he said episode 12 and 15 – were his two favorites that he got to actually uh, do, and I'm trying to remember. Wh- I'm, tr- I'm looking up right now, trying to remember why those were his favorites. Um, Twelve well, is called "Into the Rainbow." Okay, what? Well, was one of those the Gomez episode? I don't think so, but he said he liked the the Gomez episode quite a bit as well. Um, but uh, the real treat was um, if you're like us, you love his short film Gehara the long and dark haired monster. And he brought some, uh, some of his short films. Uh, and he said that it was the first time they've played, um, outside of Japan anywhere. Uh, and, and, uh, they, it, they were subtitled just for, so he could show them. Uh, the first one, um, was called zone, which was this really like atmospheric short where there's this giant kaiju, almost like a caterpillar, like thing with a big long trunk that he was going around of these uh, nuclear plants and sucking up all the the nuclear waste and these soldiers had to stop him but he would release this signal that makes people vomit blood and um and uh it was maybe maybe 10 minutes uh but zone was awesome Great. and uh it it ends with uh the the creature like turning solid and then like uh the next stage of its metamorphosis comes out of it like a cocoon and then it ends and i'm like oh my god he needs to make that into a movie um and uh had had you even heard of that I, i don't even think i'd heard of that one before um I don't. I think I knew of something called Zone, but I didn't realize it was his. But I, I didn't know anything else about it. Like I think people were talking about it, but I didn't put it together that it was a his and b that it even had like a monster in it. Yeah, but no, it was it, it was awesome. Um, and then uh, the second one was called uh, what was it called? It was um, female something seven oh one. What was it? I'm, I'm, 
trying to remember. Um, we, we wrote a question down for him. I'm trying to find the questions now. Let's see here. Was it Female Warrior 701 something? Um, female on, Weapon 701. Weapon. Yeah, Female Weapon 701. Uh, yep. Which was a comedy about a giant girl who's actually a mech piloted by a girl inside fighting a monster in the city and uh, one of the buildings breaks open and she sees her boyfriend cheating on her with her friend and they get into like an argument um, and I mean that's the joke of it and it, it's about maybe seven or so minutes long uh, but it was really fun, really clever, uh, it was really funny um, and uh, yeah th- th- I, I, I really wish those shorts would be more easily and readily available here. Um, he also showed a, uh, like reel of, um, clips from different short films from, uh, amateur kaiju movie, um, contest that he held in Japan. Um, and I think a lot of those are, he said should be available to watch online from this contest, but, uh, he's very passionate about the, the tokusatsu, um, effects which is why he holds those contests and uh you know he'll hold classes where he'll teach people how to build models and suits and stuff uh um and yeah no i, I that's honestly um taguchi and and roberts the previous night at the music box were probably my two favorite things this year yeah taguchi's taguchi's painting was awesome especially seeing stuff that really hadn't played outside uh japan yet and he's like if I can pick anybody to to carry the mantle for Godzilla, like he would be the guy to pick. But he's got also so many other ideas for for monsters that like yeah, I mean, I just I, want him to see. I just want to see him get a get a movie. Yeah, I mean, I can survive without more Godzilla movies because there's so many. Um, but and I if they ever made another live action Godzilla in Japan, he would be my guy. But his his own original ideas are so off the wall and awesome and different from what we're used to that I would rather have him do an original project. But either way, I mean, I, I think that, uh, I think the guy's brilliant. Um, yeah, he is. And, and he's like 37. That's like, he's so young <laughs> comparatively speaking. And I mean, from a technical point of view, that brilliance I do think comes out in the ultra shows, but that's also him cooperating with these big corporations to make this kids show. But I think just unfiltered, I think his ideas are just amazing, um, and uh, whatever he—if he did do his own original thing—he he, sounds like it would be pretty violent. Because uh, someone asked him about the the violence in Zone, and he just said, "Yeah, I like violence, and I can't do it on Ultraman." Um, <laughs> and I haven't seen his short film G. Just it's out there; it's easy to find, but I haven't been able to see it subtitled, so I've never watched it. But from what I understand, and from the clips that uh, he showed during like his—he did a demo reel that he showed of like all his work. That's also pretty violent. So, um, no, the, the guy's amazing. And, uh, I think that he, he can be easily on his way to being the next Shinji Higuchi. Um, if the industry in Japan lets him. Correct. Uh, two other panels. I, I got to, to see one of the two, but, but Kevin, uh, Darendorf from Mazer, Mazer Patrol did, a a couple like manga anime panels that included like references to Kaiju and stuff. And, um, those were awesome. I got to stay in about half of one and I unfortunately had to take off, but, um, just a shout out to him because like the, the information contained like in just like the first 25 minutes, like legitimately mind blowing. And I think they're already on YouTube. Yeah, so, uh, they are. Um, if you go to the, if you go to Mazer Patrol, um, the, the two panels are on YouTube. Uh, I got to see most of the anime one and then I had to leave, um, and then uh, I saw, or no, I think I saw all of the anime one, and then I saw most of the manga one. The manga one I saw the second half of just because I was in the autograph line. But no, the guy does his research, and they're super thorough and in-depth. And, um, I mean, he really puts a lot of work into uh, leaving no stone unturned. Um, and uh, uh, the one that you missed, the manga one, um, he... he went on a whole thing about how in Japan, I guess, fan fiction rules and stuff are a little more lax. So you can sell fan fiction manga comics and they even hold like 
big shows where people can sell off their stuff. And a lot of it is done by people that are industry professionals. Like Hurricane Ryu, uh, one of the first things he did was a fan comic that was like a Godzilla porn. Uh, and we, oddly enough, that kind of helped him pave his way through his career to be a suit actor in the Godzilla movies. So <laughs> such a weird, yeah. I mean, I, and that's, that's a really, I mean, we were talking, uh, I got this gamer book, uh, for our, so we, we did a gamer versus obviously the gamer versus gals panel that we did will be coming up shortly after this discussion. And one of the books I purchased to kind of get some behind the scenes photos was, uh, the gamer chronicles book. And like, I'm flipping through the book and it's just gamer, gamer. And then all of a sudden live action porn, like that's just a really cultural thing where, um, it was like tentacle porn. It was just the most bizarre thing to see a book where it's dedicated to monsters. And all of a sudden you get like, Oh, hey, naked chicks being like raped by tentacles. This is bizarre. <laughs> I'm gonna keep flipping through there now. I'm done. Yeah. Um, which is a, just kind of a common thing culturally, and a, you know, we that's probably a whole other discussion. But like, it's just so weird for me to think like Hurricane Ryu, who played like you know King Ghidorah and stuff, started by uh, making Godzilla porn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, What's going on? Yeah, hit up Mazer Patrol and uh, check out those panels because there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, and uh yeah and shout out to not only kevin uh but also all the listeners that came up and uh and talked to us um some people even just walked by and recognized us by our voices which was kind of surreal um but yeah i mean uh um geez there were a lot there was uh nick chev leslie is it leslie chambers yeah, aka Mark Calloway. Yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Pete Quint. Uh, I a lot of you, a lot of you guys. Uh, I don't mean to leave out anyone's name or anything, um, but a lot of you guys. Uh, Gary, um, Gary Johnson. A lot of a lot of people came up to us and told us how much they like the podcast. And um, yeah, so thank you guys for saying hello. And um, like I said, don't mean to leave everyone out, but just thank you to everybody um and uh yeah that that was g fest really um hey shout out to uh my wife sarah and probably for you kim because like they had to put up with us all weekend yeah my my (laughs) girlfriend kim and matt's wife sarah they they had to put up with with our our foolishness all weekend um uh also you know what we should talk about for a few minutes before we head out? Um, we uh, stayed an extra day to hang out in Chicago, and Giant Monster related uh, our dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. And um, we went to the Field Museum, which, first of all, if you haven't been, it's a great museum. You could spend days in there. Um, but a lot of awesome dinosaur skeletons, including Sue, the largest and most complete T Rex skeleton. Uh, Matt, I believe it was your first time meeting Sue. It was, and I ruined your picture. <laughs> yes. Not purposely, but I did. Is <laughs> um, of a special interest, I think, to some people and and giant monster related is they had a, the Jurassic World exhibit, um, which is kind of a, a simulation of walking through the Jurassic World park. Um, now, when I was a kid. I used to go to a lot of these things at the zoo or the the science center and and stuff where they would have, you know, animatronic dinosaurs and, you know, you'd learn a little bit about the dinosaurs and I used to love those. And this is pretty much one of those that you fast forward like 30 years. Um, And I say that because I was, honestly, I was pretty blown away by the animatronics on these dinosaurs. It was so much more advanced than... You know, when I was a kid, I would love just walking up to a fake dinosaur that can just, like, move its head a little bit and, you know, not not much else. But now, like, these things, they blink, they look around, they're super expressive, super detailed. Um, I thought they were pretty incredible. Yeah, they they really were, honestly. And, like, that that entire... The, the setup, like the arrangement, like the 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 raptor, um, the T Rex was especially incredible because this thing was freaking. I mean, like, I, it's hard to put into scale what, until you see it in person, but like, it was just 
incredibly huge and, and extremely well done. It was an it was um, an animatronic T Rex that moved fairly realistically. That was probably about the size of a bus, maybe bigger. Yeah, and uh, it it was it was great. I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, and the the Velociraptor, the T Rex was probably my favorite. Uh, the Velociraptor was pretty close. It was it was a guy in one of those animatronic suits, kind of like those walking with dinosaurs exhibits. But again, just the movements and the expressiveness of these things was pretty mind blowing. Um, and we got to walk through like the uh, the the room where they splice the DNA and they have the dinosaur egg incubators, and that, all that was actually props used in the movie. So that was pretty cool, also. Yeah, a lot of cool pictures. So uh, it, it was it was a great time. Yeah. Um, so that was G Fest 2017. Um, so I think we're we should just do because we've been we've we've had a solid hour here. Um, yeah. So I, I think we should. Well, I think the best thing is to release this independently of the panel. Um, so uh, yeah, check out our Gamera versus Gauss panel um, coming to. Uh, our podcast very soon and uh yeah hopefully uh we'll see you guys next year peace peace